Episode 36, September 1st, 7 o'clock p.m. This is um, going to be the most special episode that we have had yet. No doubt about that. We have a very, very, very special guest on tonight. Um, before we get into the introduction of our special guest, let's go around the horn here real quick. Um, just how everybody's feeling. How we doing? I'm back in town. Me and Dixon are obviously together tonight. Um, vibes are up. And yeah, this is going to be a special episode. So, uh Egg, where you at? And then where you at? And then uh, then let's get into it. Uh, I've had a busy last week. My sister came back from uh, Colorado. So uh, we were visiting with her. And then I went and saw Connie down for a surprise uh, little dinner. That was fun. That was a long day. Um, went back after uh, Connie's little surprise thing. Stayed up till four and had to go back out to the bars with all my sister and all of her friends. So that was a long ass night for sure. Next couple days. Didn't feel the greatest, but you know, we're we're here. We played Apple Mountain. Oh yeah, and we played Apple Mountain the night, very next day. Yeah, we have to shout out Mr. Murphy. Mr. Murphy almost beat Egg. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Egg. I mean, your dad's a good player. All respect. Yeah, but Egg, Egg was placing the blame game on his dad for the bad lines. Oh no, this is how stupid this was. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm right. I already hit my first T-ball out of bounds. I hit like seven T-balls out of bounds. It was great. Um, so one hole, out of bounds right, went up there, dropped or whatever. I don't know where to aim because I can't really see. So my dad goes, aim right over this uh, tree. Aim right over that corner Keep tree. Keep in mind there. the hole is dead straight. I can't yeah, see. I literally really had to walk 20 yards left to see the green. Telling me where to look or telling me where to hit. So I hit it right edge of the right half of this tree. Didn't even come close to making out of the woods. It's like 20 yards into the woods still. So I, okay. I took like a nine. We were playing right. out of bounds. <laughs> what I'm saying is, regardless, I mean, I played like dick. Bag nine was terrible. That's like when Egg's oh, okay. playing a video game, he <laughs> says, it wouldn't let me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, That's yeah. so stuck. Oh, terrible. It was terrible. Yeah, not good. Front nine wasn't too bad, though. I was no, we all bad. played actually decent on the front. The back just kind of fell apart. All right, Nan, Nan, what do you got? Not much. Coaching SC4, they're going to be some dogs this year. Dogs. And yeah, we great. had our fantasy draft, and my team's winning the league, and I'm calling it now. Yeah, we did. Hey, wait, yeah, well, let's hit on that, and then we can get into our uh, guests. But we did have our four fellows fantasy draft. Um, things will be, 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 holy cow, things will be posted every week on the uh, in regard to the fantasy league. And as we all know, this is the greatest time of the year. Football season is the best. I am projected so, first. Yeah, Dixon's projected things. first. I'm projected second. Nate, I don't know where you're at. I got to know where you're at. Um, but he's got the worst team I've ever seen me, drafted. Me and Dixon week one matchup, too. Auto you draft couldn't have picked the worst You've team. You've never even played fantasy football before, and you're like, this is the worst team. You took Christian I mean, Watson team. in the third round. That's he's going to be good this year. I have a feeling. I yeah, have he, a feeling. You're, Jordan you're Love might be something special. You know what? It's hard to Watson. No, it's I mean, hard to say bad. early because Christian Watson could be MVP. B. John Robinson hasn't played a snap at the NFL, and he could be he could be great. Okay, so okay. good picks. Uh, we'll see how it pans out. But let's get I into our guest until the end of the year. Exactly. Let's get into our guest. Our guest for episode thirty-six is a three-time Super Bowl champion, one-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler. Won the Bart Starr Award in 1998. All-American in 1985. Part of the Division II football team of the quarter century. Has nine NFC West titles to his name. And has never had a losing season in the NFL. Let's now welcome in former tight end for the San Francisco 49ers, Brent Jones. Bring him in. Admitting. Admitting. There he is. There he is. Hey, Mr. Jones. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Hey, uh, sorry about the background. My wife 
uh, had this uh, painting of me and it's right in the middle of my office. And I'm like, great. I can take the call from somewhere else if you want. Or you can no, no, that's beautiful. No, that's that's good. Perfect. Okay. Beautiful background. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. Well, yeah, Brett, first of all, thank you for coming on. It's an absolute honor. Um, obviously, we had this connection through um, John, who I met this summer, which is awesome. Uh, you guys Great. grew up together and everything. So first things first, one of the first questions that John wanted me to ask you was um, growing up in high school and middle school and stuff, he said, make sure you mention a Brett. What was the importance of, of Brent sitting in the front seat during high school? Some in regard to <laughs> water balloons and stuff. You guys, we used to just terrorize people throwing water balloons. And uh, <laughs> he had a car full of, of four baseball players. It was super legit. Everybody had a freaking wing on them. And uh, we would go around, hit mailboxes, real estate signs, whatever we could get. But if you saw a live person, it was all it was all she wrote. Like they were getting uh, <laughs> pummeled. And so uh, we used to laugh. We used to say, it's it's water and, and rubber. Like it can't do that much damage. But uh, yeah, no, water balloons with some velocity can wreak havoc. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right, cool. Well, Brent, we obviously just want to get to know you better. And obviously your career speaks for itself. But um, we'll probably just walk through your whole um, life today, I think. So because it's super interesting and everything. But um, <laughs> cool. Um, so starting out growing up in Northern California, you obviously played from prior research and through John, we know that you played football and baseball in high school um, and then was recruited actually to play baseball in college. Um, went had a few maybe road bumps and went to Santa Clara instead of going to play division one baseball somewhere. Is that correct? And then that um, correct. tell us about your career at Santa Clara and um, when your baseball career ended compared to you pursuing football. So, you know, I really grew up playing both sports. Um, you know, I think I was better at baseball um, and in high school. Um, I was being recruited. It was, it was kind of my sport in football. I thought I was dang good, but my, my high school coach, uh, made me the third wide receiver and we didn't play three wide. So I played like in three games, my senior year and I worked my tail off and I thought I could play. Um, but apparently not good enough to play in high school. So it was kind of interesting. I, th I thought I was going to go to USC to play baseball. Um, which was my dream. I, I wanted to be a Trojan so bad I could taste it. Um, went down there on a recruiting trip, all the legendary coaches. They ended up offering me a half a ride, which I, I, I you know, it was great, but just couldn't make up the difference um, financially. And so, um, kind of a weird thing. You guys can imagine, I went to Hawaii with 11 of my best buddies my senior year in high school. We got back July 1st. And at the airport were my parents and they had filled out my whole college application to Santa Clara. And they said it needed to be submitted that night. I'm like, what? And they said, oh, no Clara, way. They, the football coach called, they offered you a partial football scholarship and a partial baseball scholarship. And it's kind of weird because Santa Clara was division two in football, but division one in baseball and, and pretty okay. had a good team. And so, like, I didn't even know what was going on. It was a whirlwind. So signed it, got it to the post office before midnight um, and got accepted at Santa Clara. And like a few weeks later, I was at two a day practices with grown ass men. And it was <laughs> like, I was like, what the heck? I just graduated from high school. And there's like some 23 year old guys that have big beards and like have to shave <laughs> right. every day. I'm like, this is crazy. And I didn't even think I was going to play football again. So I'm sure I wasn't in the best of shape. And I just remember sweating myself, uh, sweating through two days and thinking, what am I doing here? Like, this is insane. Um, and, and finally survived, got back to school, school started. Um, they ended up redshirting me that year. And I remember being pretty frustrated because yet again, I thought I was good enough to play. <laughs> but I wasn't. And so I've, I've been through like three years of football now. And all I've done is practice my tail off and sit on the sideline during games. So I'm like, yeah, this isn't that much fun. And then, uh, um, 
I had a real good baseball season. My second year, I got to start in football for the first time. I was gonna, it was going to kind of be my last year. I'm like, this. I'm just going to give it one more shot, but it was fun. I was playing wide receiver, caught a lot of passes, scored some touchdowns. I'm like, wow, when you play, this is actually a cool sport. And uh, dislocated my shoulder last game of the season, oh. uh, was needing shoulder surgery. Baseball coach wasn't happy. He took my scholarship away, and that was kind of the end of my baseball career. So I was pretty upset, guys. I was, you know, you, you kind of have some pride. Like baseball was my dream. I was going to transfer schools and went in to talk to our football coach, who was also our athletic director, a great guy by the name of Pat Malley. Um, the, the whole reason I even played football. And he he basically said, first and foremost, you need your education at Santa Clara. You're, you're almost two years in. You got a lot of things going for you. And he said, second of all, um, it's frustrating not playing baseball, but we're going to pick up your whole scholarship from the football team and we're going to move you to tight end. And we think that if you work hard, there's a chance you could play in the NFL. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And so wow. I was like, wow, sweet. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a long story, long way around, but that's how it started. Brent, really quick, I got a question. So my dad played high school football. He was a wide receiver right around the same era as you. Um, give me, if you can, just like the percentage between the run game and the pass game, because he always told me that it was about 90, 10, 80, 20, and maybe out West, it's a little different. I'm not sure. Maybe they're throwing the rock a lot more. Um, but he said it was, I mean, a good stats in high school are like what a second string would put up in high school these days. So what was the difference in percentage? Your dad was 100% right. It's funny in my mind. I was like, is 90-10 too much? And is 80-20 <laughs> yeah, yeah, too yeah. much passing? So it was, probably some, it was probably right in between that. Maybe 15% of the time they'd throw the ball. It was a run first, you know, yeah. type of approach in almost every school. Um, and even even in college in the NFL back then, you know, it was you went, you won games by running the ball and controlling the clock which was certainly uh, boring. And I always wanted to throw it more, but coaches well, were nervous. Here's the thing. I saw on the wet, on the internet that you changed the game for the modern pass-catching tight end. So that's why I asked that. Because now well, if you look at guys in the league, the, the tight ends are one of the most pivotal players on the team for catching passes. For sure. Dude, you guys, it's crazy. I wish I played nowadays because, like, I used to fight and and – hard getting my shot like we got to throw more to the tight end we've got great mismatches and yeah even coaches back then they're kind of halfway believing it and then kind of halfway not but um there certainly were some great opportunities back then and and we threw the ball a decent amount with the 49ers but maybe 25 times a game and i mean we had jerry rice and john taylor and you think to yourself 25 times or in a big game maybe 30 but never <laughs> 40, 45, 50, like not even close. Oh. No way we're running the ball. Oh, yeah. And so, man, I'd love to play nowadays where, you know, guys can catch 10 passes a game like, sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. All right. So, um, Brent, post-college, post obviously, you got drafted in the fifth round by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, and then shortly after that, you had a pretty uh, severe car accident, as far as we know. Um, could you tell us about that car accident and then um coming out of that your transition into um your career with the 49ers well um you know to to be at a small school and get drafted like it was so it was so awesome you guys and um you know you guys are used to the draft now they hype it up it's crazy it's on tv the whole time back then ESPN covered it and most people didn't even have ESPN people were like what is ESPN yeah. and so Ended up uh, getting up. It started at five in the morning on the West Coast. <laughs> and they had the first three rounds on TV. And if you weren't drafted by the third round, you weren't seeing yourself on TV. Right. It went off and I was so depressed. I thought there was a chance I could go in the third. Didn't go. And all of a sudden a fishing show came on ESPN. I was like, holy crap, I'm watching fishing. <laughs> Um, no way my oh. came over i didn't want him to be there because you know you're nervous because like what if that what if you know the worst thing happens and you don't get drafted like there's a lot of guys that 
that happens to they think they're going to go or they think they're going to go in the first and they go in the third and so i remember just staring at that tv and finally the phone rang about an hour and a half after the draft went off tv and it was the owner of the pittsburgh steelers welcoming me to the steelers and i was like this is awesome like the steelers in the 70s were legit and this is still oh, mid 80s yeah. like man i'm i'm gonna get a super bowl ring um went back to pittsburgh it was awesome uh like some old Steelers were still playing John Stallworth um Chuck Knoll was still the coach um it was it was uh it was pretty intense and uh came home and two weeks later um a drunk driver came down the wrong side of the street hit my my fiance and I head on and it was like a brutal collision man oh thank god gosh. we're seat belts um but she ended up breaking her jaw, dislocating her shoulder. Uh, the worst thing for me was I had a herniated disc in my neck, and that wasn't great. Steelers were cool about it. Went back to to camp. They said, "Hey, that's no worries. We'll just we'll be patient." They thought it would be like four to six months, um, and then it's like one of those bad movies that you see where all of a sudden, like no one's talking to you. You're like you're the yeah, rookie. Yeah. You're the guy that's hurt. And uh, they started me off on injured reserve for the season. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Then maybe, you know, maybe I'll have a shot at some point during the season to come out and play. And about three weeks in, uh, the the GM called me into his office and said, you know what? We don't think you're gonna your neck's getting better, so we're we're cutting you. And I was oh like, gosh. what? Like, it was brutal. Um, I filed a grievance against them because you're not, they're not allowed to cut you when they when you're hurt and so I won that but so what I was I was back at home sitting on my my butt like trying to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life and I thought um my agent got some calls from some teams and the 49ers were one of them and I said you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it I'm gonna go for it right here at home though because I like it's it's too crazy being off you know, on the other side of the country all by yourself with no one around to support you. So I said, I'm, I'm going for it with the 49ers. Um, and they, back in those days, you know, they used to bring 130 guys to training camp. It was crazy. Oh there was like gosh. eight or nine tight ends. And so like, there were no guarantees whatsoever. So that was, that was how it all started. That's incredible. Wow. Um, so getting into your career with the Niners, um, obviously we, none of us were alive at the time, obviously, of course, but, um, all I've heard growing up was Joe Montana was the greatest quarterback of all time, which you won two Super Bowls with, but then you got to play, you got the chance to play with Steve Young too, who was obviously a hall of famer. We see him all the time on ESPN. Now two of the best quarterbacks of all time. Um, tell us about playing with both of those guys. And what made what separated those guys from any other quarterback or any other teammate that you had? Man, that's that's a great question. Um, and I've been asked a lot about those two, but not those specific uh, questions. And so I would say, first of all, I got to the team and Joe Montana was a legend. Now, I grew up in the Bay Area. The 49ers never won anything. And I was convinced throughout my whole life they would never win a Super Bowl. Um after graduating my senior year in high school, the 49ers uh, won their first Super Bowl, the 81 season. Um, the Super Bowl was in uh, January of 82 against the Bengals, and I was blown away at what Joe Montana could do. Um, weird deal, you know, five, six years later, I'm standing in the huddle with him. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. I, I can't believe that. It's super freaky, um, even to this day. And, uh, I think Joe was great because he demanded a lot of himself and he expected you um, to, to put in that same work, that same effort, and to know exactly what's going on. Um, Bill Walsh was our coach. Bill didn't hug or pump up or pat on the back anybody, but certainly not Joe. Like he was an old school you know, I, I'm sure he'd say some nice things every now and then, but he rode Joe really hard and made Joe the quarterback that he was. And I think that Joe has a pretty cool personality. He's, he's kind of easygoing dude, kind of funny, but don't cross him. You know, don't get don't get him mad at you because he'll shut you out completely. 
And so uh, he was always cool in the huddle. Um, I think the thing that separated him was his his the way that he saw the field. He always knew what defenses were playing, and he knew who the open man would be. Sometimes even before the snap, and if he and if he didn't. Um, and he'd go through his second, third, fourth read. You could be the fifth guy in the pattern and the ball could be coming to you. And there were a lot of times that he would do like no look passes, like it's coming right at you and you you couldn't even see it um, because he's looking one way and throwing it the other way, which is pretty intense. Kind of like a Magic Johnson playing quarterback. <laughs> and That's crazy. Every year there'd be uh, a new guy that would get it right right in the face they wouldn't see the ball coming because joe's looking to his left and throwing to his right and and all of a sudden the you know the ball's right in your face mask and you look like a goofball but you don't know what's coming so you better be prepared uh, when you're out there but i don't know that there was any more cool under pressure player that i ever played with in the most intensive circumstances and obviously um won two Super Bowls with Joe. Um, he had won two prior, and I think had he stayed healthy, he he probably would have won six or seven. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. The thing that made Steve amazing was the pressure of of following Joe Montana. First coming in, Joe didn't want Steve Young there. I mean, they were they were more than cordial to each other. They actually, as much as all this hype is about, they didn't like each other. That nah, wasn't really true. Those they'd go golfing. Um, they, they'd hang out a little bit once in a while. They weren't best friends, but you know, when you're a superstar, you don't want the, the you know, another first round superstar guy coming and, and pressing you for your job. So I got that. I think Bill's, Bill's big thing, um, uh, Bill Walsh's big thing was he felt like players played better with, uh, pressure on them and and guys behind them that were pressing them for their job so instead of just yeah i'm the quarterback and i can do whatever i want all of a sudden there's a guy breathing down your neck and so so steve was that guy and and joe got banged up there was a lot of talk about this quarterback this guy should be playing this guy there's locker room divide you know i don't know if that was really true all i knew was joe montana had won four super bowls and that was pretty damn good and so <laughs> he he should get he should do whatever he wants and when steve gets his chance um he should go in and show that he's the man and and really that's what happened joe got banged up steve went in played well um steve was a, a little different he was more of a um pure athlete that was great at running the ball and was learning the pass game like if you look at some of the his films in tampa bay or the la express um he was still developing as a quarterback but man bill walsh developed him rapidly and so by the time steve started playing he was the man and and it created you know joe was out with the arm a tendon problem for a year and a half and steve played so well so all of a sudden you're in the midst of this and the 49ers had to come to do a decision point. Do we keep Joe and let him try to win another Super Bowl or two, or do we, we trade him and, and play for the future um, with Steve young. And so they ended up keeping Steve and to follow, have all the pressure of going to games and people were going, we want Joe and you'll yeah. never be Joe. Um, that type of pressure and to have a hall of fame career and win a Super Bowl himself was was pretty remarkable so i i got to witness it from from both sides and it you know they're both awesome guys guys that you'd love to hang around regular guys and uh two you know legends that's incredible really quick not to get too far into the technical part of the sport but how does timing work with the two different qbs that you you were with joe montana and steve young timing with the passes when to look, was it different or was it relatively the same? How hard were they throwing the ball at you? Was it different? Did it vary? It's, it's, um, so the timing issue is a big thing. Um, we used to run plays over and over and over and over and over again against air. And I remember like thinking, why are we doing this? And Bill Walsh would have us and you'd be running a crossing route and Joe would put it right on your numbers and Bill would yell at him. And I'd be thinking, man, like Bill's crazy. Why is he like that was a perfect <laughs> right. pass? Well, 
it in Bill's mind, and, and this is technically correct, if the ball is a foot out in front of you and you catch it versus right on your numbers, you don't break stride. So I right. might I might not stop, but I'm taking a half step to catch the ball that's right there on my numbers. And the difference between a half step versus in full stride is the difference between a DB tackling you or you going downfield another 20 yards. And so that's how intent, intense and minute detail focused Bill Walsh was. And so Joe, once he got to know you, see, that's the hardest thing because you got to know receivers, their moves. You got to know when they're coming out of breaks. You got to know where they're supposed to be. And sometimes where they're supposed to be isn't exactly where they are. And mm-hmm. so just getting to know Joe and him myself, it was like six cents. He'd always know where to throw the ball. He'd put me, he'd lead me away from defenders. He put it right on the spot. Steve had to learn that in his, his early years, he'd throw a lot of great passes, but it wasn't that precise timing that would allow you to break tackles. I mean, certainly he developed that, but that's one of those things where you have to be a starting quarterback for two or three years to develop that with your receivers. And there has to be consistency. Your receivers have to be the same. And fortunately they were John Taylor and, and Jerry Rice and myself. And so it's crazy how all that developed because we just felt like we were so precise in every single thing that we did. Um, It was pretty crazy, but like ridiculous amounts of time on the field practicing the same plays that are redundant. Like you'd want to shoot yourself like over and over and over and over and over again. You're like, we already know how to do this. And it's like, that wasn't really why you were doing it. It was because it was ingraining it into your thought process. So you would always be precise at the right spot, knowing when and where. And so it was, it's a lot more technical, like you mentioned, uh, than people give it credit for. That's awesome, man. Thank you for that. Sure. Yeah, I got a quick question for you. Yeah. Um. So so for the current tight ends playing right now, do you see anybody that you're kind of like, oh, their play style kind of reminds me of me back when I was playing? So I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. Man, that is a good question. Um. So there's one guy that he might not look like me, but um, I, I taught him a lot. Uh, I was his coach in high school, and it was Zach Ertz. And uh, Zach thought he was going to be a – a basketball player and like I grinded him. I was so hard on him. I treated him for 18 months. Like he was my own son and and I have two daughters and I'd be tough on them, but I treated (laughs) Zach like, I'm like, dude, you have no idea. You got to do this. You got to do that. And to his credit in high school, he was a junior in high school. Um, he did every single thing that I said. And I said, dude, I'm teaching you stuff that's going to, that you're working, going to be doing in the NFL. This isn't about high school. Like you have so much potential. And so he, I think, um, a lot of his early thought process maybe came from me. Um, but he was, he was a superstar in his own right. Like getting him to Stanford. Um, I called Harbaugh. I said, you got to take this kid right now. Cause everybody's going to want him pretty soon. That's Nobody sweet. knows about him. And so uh, he went to Stanford dominated and then, uh, you know, ha- has had an awesome career. Um, he's one of the older guys, obviously. Um, you know, there's some guys I feel like sometimes I, yeah, I see myself in that guy, but, um, you know, uh, what, who I'd love to be is Travis Kelsey because half the time he yeah. runs around. Andy Reid has him set up. So somehow half the time no one's covering him. And I think, dude, you're Travis Kelsey. Like what, what is going on? Right. Um, <laughs> the way that the way that most teams play fronts now, everybody plays with a four-man line. And so yep. we used to have 260-pound linebackers standing right in front of me that could bench press five pounds. 500 pounds. And the minute the, the snap would go, they grab you and hold you. And you <laughs> couldn't get like, you had to fight your tail off to get off the line of scrimmage. Guys would yeah. grab you, punch you, do everything. These guys like wander off the line of scrimmage. Cause there's nobody there jamming them. And I'm like, God, that's a whole new world. And so, yeah, if I, if I could be anybody right now, I'd be, I'd be Travis Kelsey because it feels like the, the chiefs and Andy Reid create plays for him to be wide open at least 10 times a game for sure for sure that's a cool story with um with Ertz too but um touching back on your experiences um obviously with the Niners winning three Super Bowls um we talked about Montana and Young which was awesome but 
Could you give me like a, or could you say that there was like a common thread between those three Super Bowl winning teams? Like what made you guys so successful? You know, um, we had some intense team with the intense teams with the Niners, and there were some years I felt like we had an unbelievable Super Bowl winning team, and we got knocked off in the playoffs. Um, we had a bunch of injuries in '91, um, it, but I felt like we were the best team in the league, and we were 10 and six, and we didn't make the playoffs. I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Oh wow! Uh, we lost some some games early on with some injuries. But I think the thing that all those teams had was a desire to control um, what happened on the field. And and what I mean by that is those teams didn't just listen to your coaches. They achieved higher than the coaching expectations. Guys, guys had their own idea of what success is. And so it wasn't just going through drills and going through practice and going, making it okay. It would be staying out. 45 minutes after practice, running routes, deep, talking to your guys on the defensive side of the ball, saying, hey, what do you guys see when you see this? And just kind of going the extra mile. Um, and so those teams really kind of started taking control instead of the head coach telling you what to do. It was like, hey, we're going to be bigger than our coach's expectations. It's kind of a strange thing to say, but all those teams, we had a great locker room. Like guys cared about each other. There was yep. no dissension. There was no um, attitudes. It, it's it's interesting. As many superstars as we had on the 49ers, we didn't have the egos. You see it all the time nowadays. There are certain guys that have egos, and they think they're yeah. this and that. They're above the team. Um, guys are going off saying this or that, mad that they don't get the ball thrown to them. And it's like, dude, sometimes you got to be the guinea pig. I mean, Jerry Rice had to run – clear out so I could be open and and he never complained about it. Sometimes you got to do what's best for the team or you, you have a guy like Deion Sanders who we had in 94 and people were like, man, Deion's crazy. He's all, he's all about himself. And in the locker room, not even close to true. He was all about the team and all about winning. And uh, to have guys like that, that didn't have monster egos, I think helped us those three years win the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so something that obviously we're all athletes. We played Division two college golf together, but we grew up playing other sports as well. But something I've always wondered um, about professional athletes is more like your preparation for games as far as game week, game day. But the difference in preparation between like a let's just say like week seven game and a NFC championship. Were you were you wanting to? Because I know a lot of guys say it's the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship. Uh, I'm going to treat it just like a regular season game. How did you go about uh, treating NFC Championship Super Bowls um, compared to regular season games? And what was your preparation like on a day to day day to day basis in season and out of season? Well, first and foremost, there's there's two ways to be prepared. And one is mentally. So you so you do a lot of film work and a lot of study and, and stuff and go over the game plan and really kind of focus on the nuances. Um, and then the other thing is the physical preparation. So you, during the course of a season, you get beat up pretty badly. And so you got to be physically ready to go. And there are some some weeks where literally, you know, we'd pra- we'd have Tuesdays off and practice on Wednesday and, and you know, guys would be beat up. They could only go half practice on Wednesday. Um, but you you would do as much as you could do physically, but you had to make sure you get it, get up early, um, get into the ice tub, get into the training room. And, and so it's an extra commitment during the season to say, okay, this week I'm going to have to get up an hour early to get down there to get some stretching in, um, get some massage, deal with this so I can be healthy for Sunday's game. Um, I think we typically approached each game differently, but it's hard to say the NFC championship game is just like another game. I think maybe you bend over backwards to to look for little things that can be the difference in the game, whether it's, uh, you know, an extra hour of film work, whether it's spending time with um, a, a defensive player that had played on you know, a team that you're playing and saying, how do these guys think about this or how do they do that? Um, just everything I think um, come playoff time is, is 
is hyper compressed. So you're trying to do as much as you can because you know there's no tomorrow if you lose any of those games. Right. Yeah, no, I'm actually that, – that's cool to know that because I'm glad you said that because on TV a lot of the times the guys – when I hear the guys say I'm just going to treat it – I'm doing my best to treat it as, as any other game, but I'm thinking to myself like no way these the guys – yeah. with, with yeah, the Super Bowl all, on the line, there's no way BS. there's there, – <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's all BS. There's got to be a it's little extra push there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like come on. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, right, right. I got a quick question. Um, It's kind of like – personal but who was like your favorite team to play against oh that's nick that's a good question so you know we had to play our division teams twice a year so i would never you know it was kind of a pain having to play a team twice so it probably wouldn't be my favorite um it's funny because i love playing you know big games games that were were bigger than life um, and they they weren't always in the playoffs. Um, so the New York Giants was w- was great to play them. You know, go against Lawrence Taylor and yeah. one of the best defenses. Uh, Chicago Bears, uh, just because their defense was was so badass for so many years. The Dallas Cowboys, um, and and it's weird those games weren't you know easy wins, but they were like testing you uh, against the best at a at a certain point in time you know, over the years. And so it, it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I this sounds crazy, but I felt like the, my whole career, um, the NFC was way better than the AFC. And I felt, and if you go back and look at the Super Bowls, the NFC dominated in those years. But I, I always felt like the AFC's best team couldn't hang with the the NFC's best team. So I felt like we were, we were, um, battle ready after going through, you know, the NFC to, to play in a Super Bowl. I, I never felt like, wow, this was going to be a, a brutal game. I mean, you're, you're always confident, but anything can happen. But I always felt like, you know, we beat the Cowboys and that almost felt like the Super Bowl instead of playing, you know, the Chargers or we beat, you know, we beat the Rams um, back when the Rams were good um, in 89 and played the Broncos. And it was kind of like, we're playing the Broncos, like that doesn't sound like a like they're gonna <laughs> whip up on anybody, and and it sounds right. kind of what about the, what about the Detroit Lions? Right the power the power switched for sure. What about the Detroit Lions for the boys back home here? <laughs> they, you know what? The, the Lions were legit. You know, it, it, if Scott Mitchell had one or two less pizzas, you guys might have won it. <laughs> <laughs> but he, Scott, he was actually a good guy. That was kind of a cheap shot, but. You know, I have a lot of friends on the team. I, I like the Lions. They were good. Lomas Brown was a great dude. Um, Barry, Barry didn't talk much, but but um, he was pretty darn cool and always oh, always yeah. genuine and, and nice. Um, Herman Moore was just a flat out stud. Um, yep. We had some, he had some great guys on the defense. I mean, they were they were probably you know two players away, but they I mean. They could beat you. Like we play the Lions in the playoffs, like they could upset you for sure. Barry could go off, and so I'd be nervous playing the. Back then, I was nervous playing the Lions because they they felt like they were a team that has the potential to explode on you. Right. That's us. That's us this year. I I agree. (laughs) Well, when you have a tight end as the head coach, it's a no brainer. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Smartest position players, without a (laughs) doubt. Exactly. Exactly. That's good to hear. That's good to hear for sure. Next question that he just asked kind of makes me want to lead into my next question, but you were talking about defenses and how you like playing against the teams that always like had the really good defenses, but what, uh, against all the people you played against, who hit you the hardest? Like who tackled the hardest? Do you ever just remember someone? Oh, like I just got up and my bell was just wrong. Like who hit you the hardest? Uh, typically for me, it would be a, a, a safety, um, because we'd run the seam route, and if if Steve or Joe would throw me into a safety, that it was lights out. And back then, you could head hunt, and there was not a penalty. Um, so I got I got knocked out a few times. Um, let's see, Rodney Harrison could bring the wood for sure. Yeah. Um, there was a guy that was freaking pound for pound the toughest guy's name was chuck cecil he would freaking rip your head off and, and he would have been suspended every game if he was playing nowadays 
Um, no way. Brutal. I, I had a shot. Robert Griffith from the Vikings got me one time. Um, and then the linebackers, man, kind of the intermediate routes. We used to play the Saints twice a year, and by far the most most in pain I'd be after a game would be after a Saints game because they had four linebackers that were freaking the best. If the <laughs> Saints would have had any offense, they would have won three Super Bowls in the 80s wow. and 90s. Um, wow. Ricky Jackson, Vaughn Johnson, Pat Swilling, and Sam Mills, and they would freaking bring it every game, and they would just drill you. And I would just – I felt like I got in a car accident after every Saints game. Wow. Really quick, Brent. Um, I don't know if this is a touchy subject. I don't think it is, but it's it's pretty serious in the modern day. Concussions, okay? We just talked about who hits the hardest. People would have been suspended if they played nowadays. What what do you think as far as the protocol back when you were playing on concussions? Do you think that you probably had a few that you that just weren't diagnosed back in your day when you were playing, or how did how did that work? How did they assess you when you were like, oh shit, coach, I just got my bell rung, I'm a little dizzy right now? Were they like, get your ass back in? You know what, you guys, they kind of were. They give you smelling salts. Um, <laughs> I probably had. I probably had three or four <laughs> that weren't diagnosed. I had eight that were, and oh, and that's crazy. It sounds oh like my gosh. I should be a mental patient. Um, <laughs> and, and people used to joke about them back then. The very end of my career was like the very beginning of, they started like going, oh, these, this is probably not good. But um, I played a few games where literally, I knew I had a concussion. I felt like I was in a dream, but I kept playing. Um, I played a game against the Cardinals, and I remember like going, "What? This is like the weirdest, spaciest thing." And I oh went my to gosh. Films on Monday and watched the whole game, and I would be like, "I wonder what I'm going to do in this next play." I had no idea. I had no, no idea way. if I was catching the ball. I had no idea if I was running the wrong pattern. Like it was, it was weird, and so. I, I had probably two games like that, one against Green Bay, too, um, before the Packers were good, that I kind of felt like I was in a in a dream mode. A couple times I got knocked out, and then there was a couple times where I had a concussion so bad, like, I, you know, I wouldn't know the plays, or I'd, I'd just be out of it on the sidelines. And so it it's good that the NFL is taking it seriously. I think it's, it's tough for the guys that probably – played you know anywhere pre 2000 because you know i think cte is a real deal and yeah. i know some guys that struggle with with some you know some traumatic brain injury and you know i'm fortunate at least right now i i'm not aware of anything that i have but there are a lot of guys that are dealing with a lot of stuff over the years um but from my perspective i knew playing football is a risk and they tell you every year um, the NFL smart, you know, they don't want to get sued. They'd have your team doctor come in every year and tell you, this is dangerous. You can be, you know, maimed. You could be an invalid. You could die, um, which is always nice to hear before the season. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. But, I mean, let, let's face it, you know, almost every guy knew what he was doing and knew it was brutal. And that, that was just the way that it is. One thing about today's game, I really hate. I think it's gotten a little too soft um, with the big hits, and every t every big hit's a penalty. Um, sometimes you, if if an offensive guy lowers his helmet and a defense defensive guy does too, they always call penalty helmet to helmet contact. Well, what what the heck are you going to do? Take a helmet in your own chest? I mean, right. I think it's got it's gotten pretty it's gotten pretty soft in my opinion. It's not even close to what it was like you know, 25 or 30 years ago. Um, and I think some of those things are good, but some of it has taken away the the excitement of the game. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'll tell you what, when I played video games, I don't really play them anymore, but when I played Madden, the best thing to do in the game was hit stick somebody. <laughs> and I felt the same way playing junior football and high school football. I wanted to hit as hard as I could. Didn't matter with what part of the helmet, if it wasn't with the shoulder pads or not. I wasn't a very big dude, but I mean, nowadays you can really get in trouble for doing something that just kind of inflicts a little bit of pain, the entertainment oh, yeah. part of it. 
Right. It's crazy. And, and the thing that gets me the most upset is in college when they call targeting. It's like the whole game's about targeting. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, exactly. Like, a stupid penalty. It's it's mm. it's rules made by guys that have never really played and trying to in, enforce these stupid rules. And, you know, exactly. like I said, I, I'm all for safety, but, you know, there's a lot of people that sign up. Race car driving isn't safe, either as being a policeman or a fireman. And right. they're, they're not whining. And so, yeah, that's so unique to hear, honestly, because we all know concussion. We've all seen the movie con- concussion with CT and everything, but it's great to hear from a player back in the days when we heard it was so brutal. It's like getting hit by a train every time you run the ball or whatever, you get hit by <laughs> yeah. a linebacker. So it was, there were no rules back then, practically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I want to get into post-football career, though, because broadcasting and being an analyst is always something that I've been extremely interested in. Um, so after your football career, you got into broadcasting with um, NFL Today and then with CBS. So tell us a bit more about um, your broadcasting career. Well, it was it was fun. You know, when I was done playing, um, I, I probably had another year or two on my contract, and I thought I had had a lot of concussions, and I was like 35 years old, and I'm like, and I'd, I'd been to the Pro Bowl. I'd won Super Bowls. And and obviously, the money's good. But I'm like, what am I trying to prove? And I'm I'm certainly getting older, getting banged up. So I decided to uh, to retire. And right about that time, um, CBS got the NFL back. They actually outbid NBC. And so I had a chance to fly back there and do an audition with Jim Nance. And and Jim was great. He's Jim's a, the real deal. He's the same guy that you see on TV. Um, in golf, he's all buttoned up. In football, yeah. he's a little bit more funny. I, yep. guarantee, I guarantee you, he's a practical joker. He's got a great sense of humor. Like, it doesn't always come across uh, on TV, but you can see snippets of it. Um, just a good dude. And, and they immediately, I got on a plane home, and when I landed, my agent called and said, they offered you a five-year deal. And I said, you're you're kidding that's crazy like i had no idea so i was the first one they hired for the for the studio show and then they they went through a lot of other people and they weren't sure um they ended up hiring um uh, my my old coach george siefert who didn't like doing interviews didn't like talking in front of a camera i'm like why why do you want to hire george he doesn't even <laughs> yeah know. what so that was kind of crazy. And then Marcus Allen retired and and they thought he would be good. And so none of us had ever really done it you know like that live um and it it was fun it was exciting it was challenging and the first year i i thought we were doing pretty good um and i thought for sure like hey this is this is going to work out great um at the end of the first year the president called me and he said i i think you'd be uh great doing games and i was like does that mean like i sucked on the studio show he's like no (laughs) We're just going to change things up a little bit. I was like, man, I, I moved my whole family to Connecticut because I was working in the city. Oh, so wow. be working in New York City was was pretty awesome, pretty intense. And so um, at that point, I'm like, well, if I can if I'm doing games, I'm going to move back home to the Bay Area. So I moved back home, started doing games. Um, it's it's wild um, because when you do games, not one person in TV could tell you how to do games. You either can do it or you can't. And you either have 15 seconds of thoughtful commentary and you got to get out because the play-by-play guy is coming in. And and so you you either can do it or not. You got to figure out the replays. And so I had a, a great producer, a guy by the name of Bob Monsbach, who said, I'm going to grind you and I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And and he was great. And so it was weird. I was, I was kind of thinking I was getting it. You know, there's sometimes where the first year there's an awkward pause or you're talking too long or whatever. My, uh, my, uh, broadcast partner was Gus Johnson. Gus is, no, uh, he's one of my favorites. Dude, he's one of the greatest. I'm going to, I'm actually going to see him this weekend. He's doing the Dion's first game here in Texas. <laughs> oh my and gosh. So, that's amazing. He's, 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 he's the funniest guy. guy. Like we had the most fun. He, yeah. at first he thought he like, dude, like I've had a million partners, you know, just show up, do your job. You're not going to be my friend. I'm like, 
yeah, whatever, dude. Like it, we had so much fun. Like that's we'd, incredible. We'd be laughing. We'd be in tears. He has such a, he's such a smart guy. I'm just, I'm psyched for him that he, he's just kicking butt. So we've been buddies all these years, but we, you know, he's here. He is, he has a new partner. And so he's stuck with a guy that hasn't done it before. And so we used to just have a blast and, and we got, I think we got pretty dang good um, at it. And so I did that for, um, gosh, six or seven years with Gus. Um, the coolest thing is I did Kurt Warner's very first game and, oh, wow. and you guys will laugh. So I went out a couple days early, spent days at the Rams practice. Um, Dick Vermeil was great. Like treated me like I was son, uh, his son, like my dad, um, played college football with, with coach Vermeil. And so he was like, so great. He's like, this is how you do it. This is how it is. And I, I remember watching the Rams practice and they were two and 14 the year before. And the first game I said, I said, um, Oh, and their quarterback Trent green was out for the year. So this new kid, Kurt Warner, who was working in a grocery store as their quarterback. Yep. And I remember watching Tory Holt was a rookie. Marshall Falk was a stud. Isaac Bruce and then Kurt Warner was throwing BBs at practice and I'm like these guys are freaking legit so I went on the first game and said the Rams are going to be a team to contend with this year they could they could go deep into the playoffs or whatever and I got destroyed the next day like my first broadcast like some guys are like this guy's a clown what a doesn't know the Rams were two and 14 last year no way and so every single game the rest of the year like in the middle of our game, I'd get on the the button where they can't hear I'd, the talk back button to my producer. And I go, hey, what's the Ram score? Like by week five, he's like, don't effing ask me the Ram score. <laughs> crazy. Well, the whole, it was like so competitive. So the Rams win the Super Bowl. And oh I forgot two, two or three riders that said I was a joke. I called them and made them apologize. <laughs> oh I go, you guys God, don't know what you're ready. talking about. So I did. No way. The other guy's first game I did, this guy came up. He was shaking my hand. He was so excited. I was so bummed that I had to do his game because I was buddies with Drew Bledsoe. And this guy was a 49er fan. You might have heard of him, Tom Brady. So I did his first game. And I did six of his games that year. In fact, the Patriots were supposed to suck. So the the CBS kept given me and Gus the the Patriot games. They won all six games we did. Bob Kraft loved us. He wanted us to do their playoff games. <laughs> what? Like I knew Brady, like he was such a stud. He was such an easygoing, young, bright-eyed kid. It was the greatest. And so I was there. I, I used to talk to Coach Belichick all the time. We used to go hang out with him. It was so cool. And it was, it was like, man, this is this is legit. So that's unreal. So what what year was that? Was that like 05, 06, right? I was like uh, one. Was Tom? No, I, no. This is probably. I think no, Tom was uh what oh one oh two. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was his first yeah. game. We he won a million Super Bowls. So it's hard to keep track of, but it was it was uh it was a blast doing that back then. That's that's yeah, amazing. That's, that's so that cool. amazing. So that that stint of being a broadcaster was in between NFL and then Northgate Capital? Or yeah. was there something else in between? Yeah, well, no. So <laughs> I, as much as I enjoyed CBS, when the uh, when the president said, hey, we're going to move you to games, we think you'd be great, I was like, wow, this, this business is crazy. Like, I moved my whole family out here. I had a five-year contract. I'm like, yeah, I don't really think I trust anybody in the TV business. So I came home. And um, it, it's a long story. Growing up in the Bay Area is a huge advantage. But I met, I decided, I set out to meet at the end of my 49ers career, um, whoever was the best venture capital firm in the world. And I ended up doing a lot of reading and figured out it was this group called Sequoia Capital and set up a meeting with them. They were kind of, you know, indifferent, but I became friends with one of the guys uh, there was just a rock star, one of the smartest guys I know. Um, he started getting us, letting us be involved in their fund at a, at a real small percentage. And then we got to invest in deals 
um, and I say we, it was me and Tommy Vardell who started Northgate. Um, we were the, at the original meeting, and I and I drug along Steve Young and Harris Barton. Ironically, I they read both that. in the same, they have careers in uh, venture capital as well. And so uh, that was that was when we were playing, and like we would, there was one or two deals that hit while we were still playing, and we'd be high five and like we're the smartest football players no in the way. world. That's awesome. <laughs> we know all these cool venture guys, and we're in deals. And so um, when I came home from CBS thing, I'm like, I got to get into business. I got to figure out business because this this broadcasting is not going to last forever. So we started Northgate, which was a fund of venture capital funds um, in 2000, uh, Tommy and I did. Um, we had another partner, Mark Harris, that started with us. And by two or three years later, we were hiring the smartest guy out of Harvard Business School. We were hiring like uh, the most amazing CFO and controller. And, and we ended up in 12 years raising about five billion dollars and so we and we would invest we'd be in um, like any big deal that you guys can name we were in it was unbelievable so we're making we're making our limited partners money it was a blast and this was the heyday of silicon valley um you know 90 95 to 99 was pretty amazing then 2000 the crash and then all of a sudden you know startups and venture capitalists people started yeah. knowing what they were and what it was like to you know to get stock to have a company go public and so we're involved with a ton of ceos founders and so we it, believe it or not we didn't like lead with the football stuff because it's like hey do you want to invest with a bunch of football players well that <laughs> right. sounds like a great idea <laughs> you know so um but you know, we the other two guys went to Stanford because they couldn't get into Santa Clara, and so it was all, it was all pretty good. We we we, we did a good uh, we had a good run, um, and then we sold our business um, to a group out of India that was was they were the perfect buyer. They wanted to buy a majority of the firm, but they didn't want to run it, so we ran it. We were in charge still, and so. We we hung around to about 2016, 2017, um, and then an, another group bought it from them. And so I'm I actually still um, the most recent owners are are great guys. I I still am a consultant and and do some stuff as a partner. I'm still involved, but not like I was in the in the early days. But I was doing that the same time I was doing CBS. So for four or five years, wow. I was working seven days a week during football season. So wow. I'd go to football games, come home, do business stuff. And then um, CBS offered me a three-year deal in 2005. And I'm like, they were like trying to jam me like by 50 grand. I'm like, eh, if you just give me a little more, I'll do it. But I'm making yeah. my other business and they're like, what? And so I ended wow. up, you know, leaving CBS and just sticking with Northgate. So, so on top of Northgate though, and CBS, um, you were on the board of directors for San Jose sports and entertainment, correct? Yes. Who owned, was, who owned the sharks, correct? Which is really cool. I have a great buddy, um, Kevin Compton that I met, um, very early on. In fact, he helped us start Northgate. He was, a a partner at Kleiner Perkins. It was one of the 800 pound gorillas, you, you know, that invested in Google and Amazon and right. when they were just little puppies. And so, uh, Kevin was looking at buying an NFL team and we couldn't come up with one at the time. There's nobody really for sale. So he bought the sharks and got into hockey and it was super awesome. It was a, it was a great one run there with the San Jose sharks. We never won the Stanley cup, which was frustrating because you guys will laugh. I wanted to bring that cup to Danville where we lived. And like, yeah, you know, of course, I would have been like a 190th in line after all the players and the GMs and the owners. But I would have, I would have had at least a, a day with the cup, I'm sure. And I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing if we ever win. Never <laughs> yep, got it. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. I'm a, I, I grew up playing hockey, so I'm a humongous hockey fan. So as soon as there I saw the, the, the Sharks, yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so I think one of the, probably one of the last questions that we can get to until, or before we get into the, uh, the recap is, could you give us like your most memorable moment out of your playing career? What, what was your most memorable moment in your playing career? 
so you guys will appreciate this. When I grew up, like I was the biggest NFL fan, um, and we didn't have 20 stations and cable stations. You get a couple times a week. I'd watch highlights on Monday night to know what everybody else, what happened with all the other teams around the league. I was obsessed with the NFL, and I loved it. And the thing that used to be the most amazing to me would be when they'd have the cameras in the locker room after the Super Bowl, and they'd be spraying champagne, and guys would be crying, and guys would be holding up the trophy. Yep. And, and you know, to be in that game three times in, by – in 89, I caught a touchdown in the Super Bowl from from Joe. And to be in that moment, to know that you scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl, and, and there's all kinds of awesome moments. But, like, to think back to when you were a kid and you'd see that and to be in that locker room and to know what it felt like it, is pretty amazing. And so I think that, you know, that kind of trumps everything else. That's amazing. That's amazing, man. One more thing. I need to add this in here because I saw it on Wikipedia. And you could say if it's true or not, I think it is. You were one of the first players to start prayer circles in the NFL. You know, you man, you know, you guys know your stuff. So, so yeah, you know, the post-game prayer, um, people nobody knows where it came from. And uh, we just felt like there was a group of us with the 49ers um in the Bible study that felt like, hey, we we should do something you know, really different, really cool. And our team chaplain and the chaplain of the New York Giants came up with it. Um, we were bitter rivals at the time and we were playing a game in December on Monday night football where 80 million people were going to watch the game. And so we were going to, um, get together for the very first time after the game and, and pray with another team Man, that you guys have no idea. This was not allowed after games. Like you could barely, barely had time to shake a guy's hand. They didn't want, the NFL didn't want fraternization was their word after right. games. So right. We go out midfield after the game. The game was intense. I think it was like nine to seven. We we won. We beat the Giants in a defensive battle. We would end up losing to them in the NFC Championship game later on that year. We went out to the field. Phil Sims and Ronnie Light, Ronnie Lott are getting into a fight at midfield. So we're like, uh, I guess we can't do it. And so we yeah. kind of wandered down um, to like the 30-yard line, and we didn't see the Giants around. So we're like, uh, we better. We better just do it by ourselves. And we, the minute we uh, took a knee, a couple giant guys came in. And so, very first post game prayer never, and it never existed from from prior to that. So, pro team started doing it. Reggie White called my house and said, "Hey, I understand you guys are doing this prayer thing." It's like, <laughs> man, it, it just even hearing his voice scared me. Uh, yeah, Mr. White, you can call me Reggie. <laughs> and so he's like, I, I want to know what you guys are doing. We're going to do it too. And so it was awesome. uh, it was pretty wild. So then it's in college, then it's in high school, then it's everywhere. Such a beautiful uh, December thing. of 1990 is when I started. Such that a beautiful is, that thing, man. That, yeah, beautiful. Wow. That's, that's I love amazing. that. All right. So this is what we're going to finish with, okay? I just came All up right. with it last night when I was laying in bed. It's called Fourth and Four, okay? Four questions. You got roughly four seconds to answer each question. Oh, man, this if you go so a little awesome. over, it's okay. But we're going to go around the <laughs> horn here. We're each going to ask one of the questions, and I'll start. Um, how many, if you can answer this, I, I think this is one you can get. How many total receiving touchdowns did you have in your entire career? Uh, I think 30, 38. Oh, okay. Next one, Egg. How many total receptions did you have in the 1993 regular season? Oh, man. 1993 regular season. Uh, I don't know. Uh, 52. All right. Okay. Do I, hey, All right. Should I tell them if he's wrong or not yet? No, we're, I'm going to give them the results at the end. We're getting close here. Okay. Nick, yeah. what do you got? Connor, you go. Okay. I'm going to get uh, how – so you played in 143 career regular season games. Out of the out of that one forty three, how many wins did you have? Oh, that's that's tough. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, we we had a winning record every year. I'll say like one hundred and twenty five. Okay. okay. That's, Nick, that's a good. Wrap up. Wrap this up. All right. How many total points were scored in the nineteen ninety Super Bowl? Nineteen ninety. Let's see. We freaking whipped the Broncos. Sixty five. 
65, and it correct. Would have been like 95 Let's go. on the bench in the third quarter. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. That's a good thing. All right. Well, Brent, this was incredible. Uh, just to go around those questions, you did get – 1990 was 55 to 10. You guys won 65 total points. Um, out of your 143 career regular season games, you got you won 110. Oh man, so 110 and 33. Still, still an unreal record. Um, how many total receiving TDs in your NFL career was 33? Oh, you guys down the playoffs. No, oh, I I think I only did regular season. Oh, that's okay. I'm I'm just messing. Uh, 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 And then how many total? (laughs) <laughs> how many how many total receptions in the nineteen ninety three regular season was sixty eight? Oh man! So, dang! So I shorted myself. Yeah, that- yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, Brent, that was uh that was incredible. Honestly, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we hope to stay in touch. But that was uh that was awesome. Thank you again for coming on. And yeah, that well, was incredible. Guys, this, I'm I'm impressed. It's it's awesome to see young studs like yourself. Um, doing something you love, doing it with your boys, and being entrepreneurial. Um, I wish I was. I wish I was thinking like that when I was your guys' age, because it, it's there's nothing better. And I'm still buddies. All my college buddies, we still like my college football buddies. Where there's like seven or eight of us, we still do stuff every year. It's it's the best. And so, my hats off to you guys. If you ever need me again, you, you let me know during the season. If you need me to come on and. And light it up and tell you guys what's really happening in the league. I was just going to ask you that. Please come on again. Please. Yeah, Yeah, Brad. Whatever you guys want. We truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, fellas. It was awesome talking to you. All right, great pleasure. See you, Brad. Take care, guys.